again My childhood days Oh Lord, many Hello and welcome to Savage Yoga Snacks, the podcast for freaks, geeks, outcasts of yoga, and our allies. I'm your host, Steph Savage, and today I'm going to talk about how I pretend to be a yoga teacher every single day. But before we jump in, I'd like to make an announcement. Savage Yoga Inc. has expanded and we are now running a yoga space here in St. John, New Brunswick. You can find all the details, including classes and programs available at our website, www.savageyogainc.com, or you can follow us on Instagram for updates, Savage Yoga Space. Now let's jump into the episode. Imposter syndrome sucks. At the beginning of this episode, I told you I was pretending to be a yoga teacher every single day. Though I am qualified, certified, and I have a pretty extensive amount of knowledge now in the field, I still feel like I'm pretending every single day. Sometimes while I'm teaching, I have these overwhelming feelings of, what am I doing here? Why am I doing this? I'm not qualified to do this. Oh God, is someone else going to lead this class? I'm sure if you've ever taken a yoga class with me, this now makes you think twice about coming back, but stick with me here. So what exactly is imposter syndrome? Imposter syndrome can be defined as doubting your abilities and feeling like a fraud. It happens to affect high-achieving people the most, and sometimes we can find it difficult to accept our accomplishments. And sometimes we wonder whether or not we even deserve them. As I mentioned before, there are days when I get up in front of a class of yoga students and I feel like I don't belong there. Beyond the fact that I don't usually look like a lot of the participants, it's more that I doubt my own abilities. When I first started teaching yoga, I joined a community studio. The owners were nice, they took good care of the teachers, and the students were lovely. The teachers were all friendly, experienced yogis who welcomed me into the space and made me feel at home. They treated me like an equal, all except for one. For the sake of privacy, let's call this individual the guru. In next week's episode, we're going to dive more into gurus and yogi culture. But today I'm going to tell you about an experience I had with this person. Now, it was no secret at the studio that I was a little green. But as I mentioned, the other teachers there were very accommodating, friendly, and helpful. I had my certification and I was qualified to teach but I was filled with self-doubt. As I mentioned, every time I got up in front of a class, I felt like I didn't deserve to be there. I would often apologize for missing a side or mixing up my rights and my lefts. It got to a point where I would apologize for literally everything. On more than one occasion, students would come up to me after class and say, you know, you, you don't have to apologize so much. You're doing fine. Now, this was extraordinarily kind, as they were there for themselves, not for my ego, but I appreciated the encouragement nonetheless. In fact, I didn't just appreciate it, I needed it. I found myself seeking 
constant validation and reassurance that I wasn't a horrible yoga teacher and that I deserved to be there. As you may imagine, it was a constant struggle and I was deeply unhappy. Enter guru, stage left. I was teaching a fairly basic Hatha class and the guru happened to be there. Throughout the entire class, he was sighing, giving me weird looks, and overall sending out some pretty negative energy. Already feeling like a complete and total fraud, I was extremely nervous by the end of the class. After class, I walked up to him and asked him how he was, and he was less than friendly with his replies. He looked like he was biting back words, so I decided to bite my own bullet and ask him what he thought of the class. I guess he had taken issue with a cue that I gave. He didn't like it, he didn't think it was right, and he let me know that. When I told him that that was the way that I was taught, he said, Well, (laughs) there's lots of videos on YouTube you can look at. Maybe they'll help. My fragile self-esteem was shattered. Too stunned to reply, I just kind of shrugged and said, well, okay, thanks. He left shortly afterward. I tidied up the studio, left, and got in my car. I sobbed the entire way home. What I didn't tell you is, up to this point, I deeply respected this teacher. He was knowledgeable, older than me, experienced, and as it turns out, a real jerk. I wish I could say that this was an isolated incident, but this continued throughout the entire time that we were both at that studio. One of the classes that I taught was just before his class, and every single week I would see him, and without fail, he would make some kind of comment about why I was incompetent and how I wasn't qualified and shouldn't be a yoga teacher. Of course, he never came right out and said it, but the constant criticism and questioning was unmistakable. One time he had showed up to teach his class, I was finishing up with a vinyasa, and I had the lights turned down for shavasana. He looked at me with disdain. Um, you know, the lights are awfully low. I gritted my teeth. Mm Mm-hmm. We just finished with Shavasana. Not satisfied, he went on. They don't need to be that low for Shavasana. I mumbled something about maybe keeping them up next time and got out of there as quickly as possible. Of course, this was really horrible behavior. And if this were to happen to me today, I would tell him where to go, how he can get there, and exactly what he can stuff up his bum when he does. But even now, I have to admit, I still find myself feeling like that green, inexperienced fraud standing in front of a yoga class, hoping desperately that they won't notice that I don't deserve to be there. Looking back, I realized that the reason the guru sounded so mean and loud in my head is that my own voice agreed with him. He saw an inexperienced fat yoga teacher who he thought did not deserve to be there. And that's exactly what I was saying to myself. Any little mistake, anything, was devastating. 
Now, however, I realize that I don't know everything, and that's okay. I make mistakes. I'm human. I have learned so much since I started teaching to now, and I hope I never stop learning. And in talking with my colleagues and other teachers, I realized that I'm also not alone. Almost everybody has experienced some form of imposter syndrome, from the world's most accomplished surgeon to just the humble yoga teacher. Self-compassion dies in the dark. So if you find yourself going down the road of imposter syndrome and feeling like a fraud, reach out to somebody. Talk to your colleagues. Avoid the gurus and speak to the people that you trust the most. I bet that you will find that you're not alone. In fact, when researching this episode, I came across an article written by Maddie Breeze entitled Imposter Syndrome as a Public Feeling. In it, she states, quote, Imposter syndrome, sensations of not belonging, feeling that one's competence and success are fundamentally fraudulent and inauthentic. The conviction of having somehow tricked students, colleagues, peer reviewers, and publishers, and the fear that it is only a matter of time before this is discovered, is popularly understood as an individual, private problem of faulty self-esteem. However, quote, Instead, imposter syndrome is a public feeling in higher education, and I will add, everywhere. In another article I came across published in the Journal of Mental Health and Clinical Psychology, Dina M. Bravada et al. looked at the prevalence, predictors, and treatment of imposter syndrome in a systematic review. They looked at the prevalence of imposter syndrome, the treatment of imposter syndrome with its comorbidities, including depression, anxiety, and low self-esteem. They looked at the role of race and ethnicity in imposter syndrome. And they also looked at imposter syndrome as a disorder. Their conclusion states that imposter syndrome are prevalent amongst men and women, members of multiple ethnic groups, and are significantly associated with worsened experience in professional settings. Unfortunately, the study lacked data on trans and non-binary people. They found that imposter syndrome largely affects how individuals perceive their accomplishments in the workplace. So they recommended that clinicians screen patients presenting with employment-related complaints, i.e. difficulties with their managers or coworkers, work-life balance, for imposter syndrome. They found that there was more education needed for professionals, educators, and employers to spread awareness about the effects of imposter syndrome on a person's well-being. I wish I could go back and tell that green yogi that you don't need to know everything. It's okay. You're qualified. You deserve to be here. I can't go back in time, but I can definitely say these words to myself now. And maybe next time I stand up in front of a yoga class, I'll believe it. Because I'm not a fraud. I'm a yoga teacher. And now it's time for another yoga snack to get you through to your next coffee break. Today's exercise comes to us from podcast favorite Dr. Kristen Neff from selfcompassion.org. There are a number of free resources available, both for download and print. Today's exercise is called Changing Your Critical Self-Talk. 
This is a three-part exercise that Dr. Neff recommends be done over several weeks. She states, quote, This will eventually form the blueprint for changing how you relate to yourself long-term. Some people may find that journaling can help to tame your inner critic. Others may find that an internal dialogue is more helpful. If you're more prone to journaling, then feel free to write these questions and answers out. Otherwise, you can refer back to this episode, listen to the questions, and ponder them. Step 1. The first step towards changing the way you treat yourself is to notice when you are being self-critical. It may be, like many of us, your self-critical voice is so common for you that you don't even notice when it's present. Whenever you're feeling bad about something, think about what you've just said to yourself. Try to be as accurate as possible, noting your inner speech verbatim. What words do you actually use when you're self-critical? Are there key phrases that come up over and over again? What is the tone of your voice? Harsh? Cold? Angry? Does the voice remind you of anybody in your past who is critical of you? We want to be able to get to know our inner critic very well and to become aware of when our inner judge is active. For instance, if you messed up a pose in yoga class, does your inner critic say something like, you're a failure, you're dumb, and so on? Really try to get a clear sense of how you talk to yourself. Step two, making an effort to soften your self-critical voice. We can do this with self-compassion rather than judgment. Instead of saying something like, you're such an idiot to your inner critic, say something like, I know you're worried about me and feel unsafe, but you are causing me unnecessary pain. Can you please let my inner compassionate self say a few words now, inner critic? Thank you. Step three, reframing the observations made by your inner critic in a friendly, positive way. If you're having trouble thinking of what words to use, you might want to imagine what a very compassionate friend would say to you in this situation. For instance, earlier this week, I was having a rough day, and I felt a little like a failure. A very good friend of mine reminded me that I work hard, and I've never been a failure. It may help to use a term of endearment that can strengthen and express feelings of warmth and care, but only if this comes naturally to you. For instance, you could say, Darling, I know we fell over in yoga class that's okay. You're sad right now and you're embarrassed and those feelings are valid, but you're still worthy. Just know that almost everybody stumbles at least once in a yoga class and that's okay. Why don't you move on and take a resting pose? I bet that will make you feel good. While engaging in supportive self-talk, perhaps we could also adopt supportive touch maybe touching your arm, or even touching your own face tenderly. Physical gestures of warmth can tap into the caregiving system, even if you're having trouble calling up emotions of kindness at first. 
Physical touch can also release oxytocin that can change our biochemistry. The most important thing to remember is to act kindly towards yourself. Feelings of true warmth and caring will eventually follow. Start with step one, recognizing when you're being self-critical. And when you feel like you've got a good handle on that, move on to step two and then step three. Maybe make some notes about how you feel at the beginning and at the end of this exercise. And remember, we all deserve to hear kind words, especially from ourselves. That's all the time we have for today, friends. Thanks for tuning in. Next time you see someone who you think is doing better than you, either online or in person, remember, they may be struggling. So let's all be a little kinder. And as always, stay weird.